If you could, we did this a few weeks ago, and I think it's really important. Uh, could you just look at someone across the room, make eye contact with them? You're still looking at me. Go ahead, look around, make eye contact with someone across the room, and tell them, you need me, and I need you in Christ. Now do it again like you mean it. Make eye contact with somebody. Yeah, there you go. That's fine. And, and let it be awkward for a minute. It should be awkward because this is not how we live. We're isolated. I'm like, we're going to do my own thing. This is all on me. And I'm going to come in here for an hour and do my thing and get my little Jesus fix and, and mix this and that. I've got a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of everything else. My, and then I'm going to go out and just forget about it. And this is the whole problem in Judges. This is the whole issue with our lives. And I was just talking to a guy this morning. And uh, just bear with me. Forgive me. I feel like I'm just saying the same thing every week. That's it. I'm the hired holy guy that gets up here and just every week it's like please remember Jesus please care please don't let Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday Friday Saturday make it be just days because Sunday is only magical in the sense that it reminds us of the eternal rest God's going to give us in his Sabbath when he makes all things new that's why we gather but that should ripple through the rest of the week and so all the points that I've got here the whole notes and all the color coding all that, it still comes back to just remember Jesus and we're going to forget and we're going to struggle and so we need to look at each other and say, you need me and I need you in Christ. Because without each other, you ain't got a shot. Hear me say that. Without each other, in this room watching from home, the other believers in your life, without the church, you ain't got a shot. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. I'm not going to make you say that because some of you don't believe it. But think through, you can't do it on your own. You need me and I need you in Christ. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We need each other. That's why we have the church. Uh, we've been going through Judges. There's this cycle in Judges that uh, we pulled from uh, the Bible Project video. We looked at Judges, and this is the cycle that we're going to look at every week. Uh, you know that because we look at it every week, so you're like, hey, I've seen this every week, right? So this is what happens. It turns out that they're going to sin. They're going to go apart from God. They're going to have oppression. They're going to have repentance, some sort of deliverance, uh, a judge, something. Then there'll be peace for a time, and that leads back into, I'm going to do it my way. Because, spoiler alert, we say every week, guess what? We all want to be like God. That's what happened. Genesis 3. You can be like God. You can know good from evil. You do it your way. You can be like God. And so we constantly get into sin. We constantly get apart from God. And in Judges 3, 7, it unpacked it for us. It specifically said, hey, Israel forgot the Lord. What specifically? What two things did they do when they did evil inside the Lord? Two things. They forgot God and they worshiped idols. That's it. That's what it means. They did evil inside the Lord. They forgot God. And they worshipped idols. And man, we'll talk about idols here in a minute. But uh, this week we're going to look at this pattern of, of judges. They have another judge come up. Gideon, woohoo. Uh, some people have named their kids after Gideon. And Gideon's a, a popular name for millennial people. Maybe, I don't know. It feels like my generation names kids names like Gideon. I don't know. Um, I didn't. But who knows? More kids to come. So uh, we want to look at this narrative. <laughs> Whoa, Nikki's not pregnant. What did I just say? <laughs> Yikes! Um, <laughs> Before we get into Gideon, instead of, we've seen this pattern of like judge, judge, and last week with uh, Deborah and Brock, she was a prophetess and a judge. This week, the narrative takes a slight turn. Instead of just raising up a judge, we have an unnamed prophet come first. Look at me uh, in verse 1, Judges 6, verse 1. 
The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. Verse 5, for they, the Midianites, would come up with their livestock and with their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. That is a lot of camels. Can you imagine seeing so many camels that you can't count them? How many people have seen like 100 camels together in their life? No one in this room because they're not native to Missouri, right? And so then I'm just trying to imagine Look at all those camels. We can't count them. Lots of camels, right? So uh, they had their camels. They couldn't be counted so that they would lay waste to the land as they came in. This is a big phrase because this is the land what? That God gave them. God gave Israel. And then God allows the Midianites to come and lay waste to it. This thing that God gave them that was supposed to be good, they were supposed to take care of. Kind of sounds like Genesis 1, right? Uh, no, 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 they didn't take care of it. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to be like God. So God allows them to do that, and the Midianites come in and lay waste the land. And Israel, verse 6, was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help from the Lord. This is uh, economic exploitation, which is, uh, you know, Whatever. Uh, they laid waste to the land. So before it wasn't just like conquering them, killing them, pressing them. Last week we talked about oppression. Uh, specifically there were women that were oppressed. Um, they were enslaved and, and raped and those sort of things. And then also we talked about just the oppression of people. This is more like this economic uh, issue where they can't survive. They can't have uh, anything. They're, all their feudal system, everything they try to get out, it just falls apart because the Midianites come in and just wreck it. Like locusts, they come in and just take everything. That's the locust noise. And they come in and they take everything out. And so it, other parts of this story tells us that they've got to hide in, uh, in mountains and different places. Later we meet Gideon, he's hiding because that's the whole of Israel's thing right now. Israel doesn't have the land God gave them. They haven't conquered it. It's not what it was supposed to be because they were driven out. And they didn't drive these people out, and so now they're being driven out, ironically. And so this is the situation they're in. It's a very sad sentence that it was laid waste. Verse 7, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, this is different. It's not just a judge yet, we have a prophet coming. And I think it's interesting, there's no, no name for this prophet. Because who cares, the prophet? The prophet's coming to bring the word of the Lord, and the important point in here is what he says, right? There's a teaching that comes first. Not just the deliverer raised up to fix things. The people cried out, and somehow God decides, you know what needs to happen first? We need to teach these people, we need to give them a word on why this is going on. Because they forget. Because they forget, and they worship idols. So, here's what the prophet says. Verse 8, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And so, instead, when they cry out, instead of him saying, poof, here's your deliverer, go mow them over, and okay, now you're delivered. Now, first, there's a prophet that comes, a named prophet, to say, hey, let's explain what's going on here. Let's, let's teach what's going on. And, what, and what's this message? The message from the prophet is, look what all I've done for you, the Lord says. I've done all these things. I've been faithful. I've taken care of you. I did everything I said I was going to do. And you put me in this position where you said, hey, we're not going to obey you. And so now... You want to know why you're crying out to me? It's 
because you didn't listen to my voice. You didn't obey my voice. We talked about that, listening and obeying children. It's like when we say, hey, listen to me. We're not just saying listen. We say obey also. It goes together. Shema, right? It means together. And so this is the same idea, right? You didn't obey my voice. You didn't listen to my voice. You made your bed. You lie in it. All those sort of adages. This is the situation. You have not obeyed my voice. It's interesting the Lord loves them enough to explain everything to them, to teach them. And this can sound harsh to us that, that, you know, why didn't he just, poof, fix it all? Why did he have to come and explain them? But I think the analogy kind of makes sense, and, and you understand that, that sometimes when bad things are going on in people's lives, it's not just that you need to rescue them. It's that you need to teach them and explain to them, hey, hold on, here's how ultimate rescue happens. You need to obey the Lord. You need to quit playing in the road. If you keep getting hit by cars, I'm not going to come and grab you out of the road every day. I'm going to tell you, quit playing in the road because that's where you get hit by cars. And so there's this whole attitude here of like, hey, hey, let me teach you what's going on. God loves them enough to do that. And I think there's, there's a moment here of understanding that God is calling them to repentance, to look to him. And we talk a lot about this uh, repentance cycle. It's the first thing that Jesus came and taught, Mark 1.15, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In fact, we have this, uh, this sick graphic here about repenting and believing the gospel. Right? When you put Christ in the center, right, then you repent, you believe in the gospel, and it's a cycle that keeps having your life. You keep having these moments where God says, hey, I'm going to change your mind about things. Right? You look at the world differently. Repent means to turn, to change your mind, to rethink about the things that you think about. And so all of a sudden, you're repenting in your job. Every year, you're growing and understanding more how you have a repentance in your job and how you seek King Jesus with your job. You're repenting in your parenting. You're repenting in your spousing. You're repenting in, in how you approach the Lord with, with reading the scripture, with prayer, with, with your church relationships. You're saying, hey, I've got to repent because all these things are going me to believe more deeply in the gospel. And it turns out these things impact everything because Christ is at the center and I can't help but have a posture in life of repenting and believing in the gospel. God's calling them to a repentance. I think when we're trying to make sense of what's going on here with this prophet, uh, I think 2 Corinthians 7.10 helps us here. And I wish we could unpack a lot more what Paul's trying to say in 2 Corinthians 10. But this, this verse uh, I think is helpful. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, but regret, uh, without regret, sorry, whereas worldly grief produces death. Regret and worldly grief are ultimately about us. See what I'm saying? Uh, they're ultimately about, about me and what's hurting me and what I dislike. And so we get regretful and say, man, I regret that I didn't play more ball in high school. I regret that I sold that Mustang. I regret. It's only about us and our pain and our posture, right? It's not leading towards repentance because repentance is a change of mind in which you look to Jesus as Lord. You look to God and you say, you are above all things. I'm going to repent and believe in the gospel. And it's a growing posture that we have, Right? And so we have this problem where we need repentance, but oftentimes we fall into regret. We care about that I've lost my comfort, my convenience. This is about my hurt. This is regret. Me, 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 me. And repentance says, I have broken something fundamental. I am fundamentally broken. Something is off, and I need to look to the Lord. That's the only hope I have. But the only thing that I could say is I'm broken. I can't fix it. I must need King Jesus. I must need God who says he has all authority, God who says I'm with you always, God who took on my punishment, my sin, my evil, my death, God who took it on through Jesus who died on the cross. And then through Jesus, we find repentance. We find our minds being transformed. That's why uh, Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
God's aim is always to move you from self-focused regret to Jesus-focused repentance. That's it. So we're trying, hey, remember, remember, look at each other and say that we need you. We're all trying to just remember, please look to Jesus. Quit thinking of yourself. Quit putting yourself in the center. We even have this cycle. It's a, a sick graphic like the other one that has me in the center. Great mind reading, Joe. Good graphic. So, uh, so it puts you in the center and say, hey, man, we have temptation and we forget and we look to idols, doubting, selfish desires, look to ourselves. That leads to sin and death. And it's just this thing with the self-orbit that goes over and over and over. God's trying to say, quit, quit, quit putting yourself in the center. And see, when you do that, you see these things like chaos, disorder, destruction. When you look to the Lord, you see unity, things being made right in Christ. How can we repent? We look to the Lord and we cry out to Him. He reminds us of who He is. I think that's so interesting about, about this phrase that this prophet comes and speaks. He says, says Thus says the Lord of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. He reminds them, look what I've done. Listen. I think there's a side message in here that, that some of us need to hear. Stop not reading your Bible. Just stop. Because here's the thing, or please, here's a better one. Start reading your Bible. How's that for you, right? There's this issue where we, we get in our minds, I go to church, I know the stories, I know these things. Man, I've been reading Judges 6 all week. I read it again this morning. And it's like every time I read it, something different stands out to me. And I've been studying all week. This is my thing, right? This is what I got to do. I got to get up here and talk about it. I studied all week. I'm thinking about this on all these podcasts. Read all these words about it. Everyone's opinion about it. Everyone's wet fleece. And, and I just read it all. And then I've got to talk about it. But every time I just sit and read the word, something different stands out to me. I say, God, what, what are you trying to say to me here? Listen, if you don't have an active posture of reading the word, you can't possibly repent. Because what are you changing your mind to? What's your vision on? Your vision is the new self-help thought. Your vision is a Facebook meme that made you feel good that day. Your vision is something grandma said. Your mammy, your pappy, your grammy, your grandpa. Those people can't save you. You don't repent for Grammy. You don't repent for David. You don't repent for Carrie. You don't repent for Memorial. You repent to King Jesus because Jesus said the kingdom of heaven's hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is all about how God's making the world right through King Jesus. And so when we struggle with these things, when we wrestle, we can't get to these things without reading Scripture. If you don't have a posture of reading Scripture, let us help you. Let's talk about that. This is why every week we talk about measure your life in prayer, Scripture, and church. Look at your week. And, and again, I was just talking to some of these guys with the men's conference, and we're, we're talking about how we need to have these postures. And It's so difficult because I think if we're honest with ourselves, you think, aside from right now, well, we're here at church and we're doing the churchy thing, aside from right this instant, when was the last time you said this week, man, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to stop and I need to talk to the Lord about what I'm doing, right? It's, it's tough. We struggle. We forget. And God loves us enough to bring things into our life to say, remember. So what this prophet comes and does, he says, remember, draws to repentance. Does Israel repent? Do we have a next verse of, and then Israel repented of all their sin and burned all their idols? No, we don't get that. We get the next part of the story where God raises up Gideon. I think that's so beautiful that God continues to move and he continues to bring deliverance and continues to pursue them, pursue us, even without that specific repentance because God loves us. 
And God's wanting a relationship with us. And I think it's interesting that, that God is pursuing you and that he's acting and moving apart from a specific verse that we get about, hey, you, you've, you've disobeyed. You've really messed up. And instead of all of them saying, yes, Lord, we've disobeyed. And we get this really wonderful lament from them and turn to Christ. We don't get that. We just get the story of Gideon. God continues to move. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He's pursuing you. Say, hey, turn to me. God raises a judge, even though they haven't specifically responded in repenting. I think that's a neat thing. Uh, let's look at this judge that God raised up, Gideon. Uh, if you know much about Gideon, is he a great leader? No, he's, he's really not. I mean, he's he hit and miss, maybe. But is he a uh, he, he pretty great judge? Is he a good guy? In general, we're going to find the judges are not awesome people. Some of them are okay, but uh, really hit and miss. And, and you'll hear us talk about and kind of look at how all of these are kind of pointing to an ultimate salvation, an ultimate judge, an ultimate king that we need that's not flawed, that's not broken. So we look to Jesus. We'll read that later and how we look back to Christ. And in this time, they had prophets and all these things. But we look to Christ. Here's the story of Gideon, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? How many of you have been there? Why has all this happened to us? If the Lord is with us, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the, his might, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you shall strike Midian with one man. Uh, it's worth mentioning who is the angel of the Lord. This appears several times in Scripture, and, and there's different people that debate uh, what that means. Some people just come out and say, that must be Jesus. That's the only answer is it's Jesus, which is very probable, right? And, and I, I, I agree that uh, probably in general it's good to see this as Jesus. When you, when you read in the Hebrew, it's really tricky because there's times where it's the angel of the Lord, but then the Lord, like Yahweh himself replies, and so the angel of the Lord means this is a messenger from Yahweh, but it must be some specific one. Uh, the verses before us we didn't read, he walks in, he sits by a tree, and so you just get this situation where it's like, this doesn't sound like the angel I typically see in Scripture. So something specific about the angel of the Lord. It's got a lot of humanly characteristics. It speaks. And here's the big thing. Gideon doesn't see this person and be like, whoa, angel. I should fall on my face and crawl. He doesn't do that. He just has a conversation, right? And he goes back and forth on how he uses the word Lord. I think that in general it's worth seeing that God... Is, uh, is in a perfect... <laughs> about to say something about Trinity, and as soon as you say something about Trinity, you're wrong, and someone says, no, it's Molinism, I say you're wrong. So I've got to be careful here what I'm saying about Trinity. God exists perfectly in a relationship with himself in three distinct parts, and that's as much as you're going to get from me, because it's really hard to perfectly define that, but I will say this. We know in Scripture that we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the Son has been with the Father the whole time. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh. Right? There's several places where Paul and other places say that Jesus was with God at the beginning of creation, and I think that we see Jesus moving all through the Old Testament. 
And I think in situations like this, it's worth saying God loves us enough to appear as himself in person. And although we can't work out specifically what that means, there's a perfect relationship and we have a perfectly powerful God who does things that amaze us. And he's sitting here before Gideon and Gideon has the grace to talk to the angel of the Lord. Potentially, probably Jesus. He's talking to him. He doesn't know who he is, which sounds like another story reading the New Testament of talking to Jesus and not quite knowing who he is yet. And he was interesting. And they have this weird back and forth where he says, you're a mighty man of valor. And he's like, ah, hold on. Careful with that language, bruh. Mighty man of valor, I am from the weakest. I'm just the biggest schmuck among schmucks. Look at all my people. We're the weakest. I'm the youngest. I'm not mighty. Calm down with your mighty men of valor language and with your go and do this stuff. He's just not about it. A Gideon doesn't have this belief of like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. That's not his posture. His posture is, did you go, please? What's, you know, I got to go do this thing on the fresh threshing and wine for whatever. He just doesn't have time for this. I think this interesting tension because the angel of the Lord doesn't, doesn't really give him any room there. He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the Midians. Do I not send you? He says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? He says, I will be with you. That's what Jesus said to us. I'll be with you always, even until the end of time. How can I do these things, God? How can I manage this stuff you brought in my life? How can I manage these kids? How can I manage this spouse? How can I manage? See, you told us that I'm supposed to follow you. I'm supposed to be a good husband. I'm supposed to be a good father. I'm supposed to own a business, be a pastor, whatever it is in your life. You pick your thing. How can I do this? I am with you always. So the Lord is with you. So then Gideon asked the angel to show him a sign. Again, get this. Gideon's talking, the, the narrative lets us know in the dark irony, we know this is the angel of the Lord. Gideon is clueless, which I think is so fascinating. And, and I feel like, like not a ton of people I was reading through wanted to drill down this, but I think it's just so fascinating that Gideon's just sitting here talking this, and all the time in Scripture, there's this moment of like awe, and then he's just like, Gah. Just having this conversation. And so he says, hey, um, let, uh, let me get a sign from you. And so he goes and cooks a goat and, and uh, some broth and some unleavened cakes. He takes the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord consumes it with fire and vanishes. And then Gideon gets it. Verse 22, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now all of a sudden he gets it. There's some powerful deity thing here. They're not just having a conversation in theory about the Lord with some wise guy who knows about the Lord. This is the angel of the Lord. And he freaks out. The angel, angel is saying, hey, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Peace be with you. And then, and then Gideon builds an altar and he calls it Jehovah Shalom. Say Jehovah Shalom. Ah, means the Lord is my peace. Say the Lord is my peace. I had like this section of my notes as a huge chunk, had to delete it, we got to move on, but later on. That's an exciting thought, the Lord is my peace. Man, that's the big deal, right? They have all this chaos, they have all this disorder, and he says, no, 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 Jehovah Shalom. He builds an altar, the Lord is my peace. Coming from the weenie guy who says, nah, I'm the weakest, my tribe's the weakest, the Lord is my peace. Pick your excuse, whatever it is. I've got a bum knee now. Elderly stuff is getting to me. My, my, my spouse relationship is falling apart. The Lord is my peace. There's a common thread here. Are we looking to the Lord? Are we saying the Lord is at the center of our orbit? It's the Lord's orbit. We're seeking him. Or are we still putting ourselves in? We're trying to make room for us. More on that in a minute. Why did Gideon not recognize the angel of the Lord? Why was he so doubtful of the Lord and, and believed the Lord had forsaken them? I think these next verses give us a clue of Gideon's ignorance. And this is where I want to camp for a bit because I think that, that 
there's something here. This is what stood out to me the most. Verse 25. The night the Lord, uh, that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, and a second bull seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, Baal and your father, uh, that your father has, and cut down the Asherah uh, that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid out in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, uh, that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did what the Lord had told them. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So Gideon builds uh, this altar. He calls it Jehovah Shalom. Uh, he's told, told to build this altar. Uh, and he's told to, to tear down some altars, right? Uh, two, two altars, right? Who are they? You don't have to say them. It's okay. They're weird. They're weird Hebrew words. Baal. Asherah, right? He's got to tear these down. I think that's interesting that he's got to tear his father's... I think, what does this say about the story? So just take a minute. If you're a parent or you've had parents... That's everyone. Raise your hand. Good. Okay. You've had parents. If your parents raised you to like the Cardinals and the Cubs and another baseball team, and just find new baseball teams, but three of them, then you couldn't really be divided and wear three hats at the same time because your head is made for one baseball cap. So who's going to get it? The Cubs, the Cardinals, or the, the Orioles? Shake your head. Is that a baseball team? Braves. That's a baseball team. Great. So which, which, you can't do it. There's three of them. That's a cheesy like sports analogy, which clearly is not my sport, but whatever. I don't know why I picked baseball. But you can't wear three hats. There's this tension here. Jesus said, we read and we did the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. But what does this say about his pops, Joash? His dad raised him in the situation in which you've got a little bit of your Jesus here, but also the Baals and then the Asherah. You've got all of them together, son, and you just pray for whatever you need, and it comes together here. And so Gideon has some idea of Exodus, right? He says, the God that brought us out of Exodus, he remembers that, but he doesn't recognize the angel of the Lord. And then also he says, oh, you are, Lord, I've seen your face. He completely misses these things, and I think there's something here with this mixing of worship, mixing of idols. These people, Israel, Gideon's family, they worshiped God formally, but their hearts were, were somewhere else. Jesus talked about this. Draw near to me with their lips. He's quoting Isaiah. Draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let that settle on you. Because we can, man, ugh, start talking about idols, man. And as soon as I want to talk about idols, it's just let me, let me get the posture. It's like, ugh, okay, idols, please. Ugh. Right? Who here is sick of talking? When do you say the word idol outside of church? Who says the word? You don't. And so as soon as I start talking about idols, we're like, okay, cool, okay. Is it, is it the secular rock music, ACDC? That's what it's doing. Is it, is it my, my bank account? The church wants my money. What, you know, where, what direction is pastor going to go? We're talking about idols. Calm down, man. Like, I want to talk about just the basic concept of mixing things with God for our own convenience. And we can call those idols. We've had the Timothy Keller quote up here several times about idols. And, and, and I don't want to be the guy up here that's just like, this is your idol, and this is your idol, and this is your idol. I want the Spirit of the Lord to bring to your mind the things that we're mixing in life. If you're a parent, do your kids know Jesus is Lord? 
Or do they know Jesus is Lord and sports is Lord and band is Lord and, and J's is Lord and Capital City is Lord and homeschooling is Lord and, and they just know all these things is Lord. And so when they meet the Lord, they might not recognize him because he's not wearing a baseball cap. If, if, if your family cares so much about your hobbies and your vacations and church is just that thing you do on Sundays, it's no wonder that every generation is leaving the faith so vastly. I'm not here to just kick parents in the teeth. Grandparents, church members, man, look around at the kids around. Half the kids in our church come from broken homes. They don't know mommy and daddy. It's a broken issue. And then we sit here like we can just come in here on Sundays and do our thing. Like if we say we're one body, one faith and baptism, we say that we're one. We've got to be in it. You need me and I need you in Christ. We've got to be growing in these postures of prayer, scripture, and church. And we do that here. That's why it's, man, when we talk about mixing idols and we start talking about idols, it, it sounds to us so quickly like I'm just saying, please come to all the church events, sign up for the church events, be to church, do the church thing, maybe even go to seminary and do all the church things so we can say, you're perfect Baptist Molly, perfect Baptist Morgan, perfect Baptist Adam. That's who you are. Poof. It's not the point. The point is you're going to forget and you're going to raise your kids to love things other than God, and then they're going to struggle, and then you're going to be broken and wonder, how did this happen? And you're going to look at your house, and you're going to see, turns out that I've got several altars that need to be torn down. I've got several things that aren't King Jesus. And I'm not here to tell you exactly what those things are, because it gets tricky, right? Because here's the thing that's interesting. Some of us say, hear this, and we think, okay, all David wants me to do is sit in my house, maybe cross my legs, because that's modest, and I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to pray, this is my life now. But the issue is that as you read the Bible and as you pray, then you're called to action, to seek justice, to love others, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you can't do that unless you're loving your neighbor as yourself. So you can't just sit and read the Bible and pray all the time. You have to do the word. You have to be the church. Do you understand? Do you get this concept? And so it all starts flowing together, but so quickly it turns into how we mix these things of a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I control these things. These people had these idols. We have these idols as this false sense of control. We want to be like God. And so we, we worship on these things that give us convenience. They give us comfort. They make us feel safe. They give us security. An idol is anything we seek to give us power, control, security, identity, comfort, and fulfillment other than the Lord, who is the creator and sustainer of all life and every good thing. Every good thing points to an objectively good source. That's philosophy. And so any good thing you call, if you count your blessings, the whole reason you do this posture is so that you can look back and say, hold on, there is a good God that's taken care of me. The whole reason why God appears in through a prophet and says, look what I've done, look who I am, is because they forgot. They forgot the Lord and worshiped idols. In uh, Judges 2, 7, I believe, it said, After Joshua came a generation that did not know the Lord. Gideon didn't really know the Lord. He went to Sunday school. He might have had little Yahweh things around. Maybe he had a, a little Yahweh necklace. I don't know what that would be at that time. But he didn't know the Lord, because when the Lord appeared to him, 
He got confused, and he had to start doing these religious things. Okay, can I do a sign? Can we get a sign here? And later on, you see that too, and we fault him as being doubtful for the whole fleece thing, and get it wet, get it dry, get it wet, get it dry. But also, it's like, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't have Jesus to look back to. He's got stories of his father, but his daddy mixed all this stuff up anyway, and so he's just trying to be like, God, are you, are you like all the other gods who just control? Where's your central location? Are you the crop god that we pray to so our crops ring out? Are you the god that mama prays to so she can have more babies so then inheritance we pass on? Are you the god that takes care of our economic issue because the Midianites have plundered us. Which God are you? And so he lays out these fleeces and says, hey, hey, I need to understand. And so before we're so quick to fault Gideon for being this awful guy, he's not a great guy. That's the point. We need to understand Gideon didn't have all the things we have. We have the Word of God. We have baptism. We have the Lord's Supper. We have the church gathering to come together, look to Jesus and say, we want to remember who God is. When I read this story, I can't get past the mixing of idols that Gideon didn't know. And as we start talking about idols, it's exhausting and it's frustrating. We need to be real with each other. Look at each other and we say, I need you and you need me in Christ because Monday happens. And Tuesday and Wednesday. And, and all these awful things happen. And I can't explain always why, why jobs get taken from us and, and we lose babies and, and grandma gets cancer and slowly dies or we surround someone and pray and they're not healed. I can't answer all those things. But the pattern we see in Scripture is the Lord says, I am with you. I will rescue you and I'm making all things new. And the pattern of the world is forget. You can be like God. Do we seek the Lord in this way? Do we grow in postures of prayer, scripture, and church? Man, I want to shepherd that into your heart so deeply. Every day, look back and say, what is my relationship with God's word, scripture? What is my relationship with prayer? What is my relationship with the church? Because you need all three. If you haven't heard me say it recently, you can't just have one or the other. If we just gather together to do good stuff, then we're a neat social club that makes each other feel good and sing songs, but we have no basis for it. If we just read scripture, then we're arrogant because we think we figured out and we do weird things and say weird things and we pick verses out of context and say, this is what we should do. And everyone thinks we're belligerent jerks, right? Because we're completely missing things. We don't have any love because we get arrogant in our interpretation. If you just have prayer, prayer to who? Need idea, let's all get together and pray. Pray for what? Pray why? Pray how? No, no, you have all three, then all of a sudden you recognize, wait a minute, I see who the Lord is by remembering him, by reading his word. You're growing into an intimate relationship with him as he's called us through Christ, through communication, through prayer. And then as the church, we gather together as one body to refine those things, to grow together, because that's the force he's using to redeem the world. The church is his body, Jesus Christ on earth. Why you need those things in your life. You need me, and I need you in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Maybe some of you aren't in Christ. Thank God that you're here to hear that. Just as God sent a prophet to say, hey, y'all are missing this. Here's what you need to know. Look at all things God's done for you, and you have not listened to the voice of God. The voice of God is here right now. Whether you're watching from or you're sitting here, and he's saying, I am the Lord your God. And the selfish cycle of regret that you're on, looking at me, 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 this whole attitude of making everything about you, trying to be like God, propping up all these things, mixing all these things, a little bit of Jesus with everything else I want in life, ultimately it's all about you. And if Jesus Christ isn't your life, if Jesus Christ hasn't consumed you and isn't the center of all things you're doing, then your life is leading toward chaos, disorder, destruction, death. And so Jesus has brought you here now to say, hey, here's truth. 
Give your life to Jesus. Repent. Have a change of mind. The Spirit enters you, transforms you. That's what Christ is calling you to. 1 John 2, 5-17 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all the things of this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. These things aren't from your Father. This is my Father's world. He's given us all these good things, and they all point to Him. But they're not ours to hold, to possess, to control, to break, to adulterate. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, prideful boasting life, these things aren't from your Father. Loving the world, these things aren't from your Father. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Gideon tears down uh, these altars, right? He tears down the idols, and then everyone wants to kill him, if you read the story. And uh, his dad stands up for him, which, you know, uh, if I broke my dad's idols and stuff, he'd probably kill me. Um, but that was said a weird thing about my dad. My dad doesn't have idols like that. Um, he doesn't have, like, Baal and Asherah. But in theory, your dad would be very upset if he broke his stuff. That's the point. Oof. Uh, uh, so instead, his dad says, hey, Joash, he says, hey, if... Uh, if these aisles are what they say they are, Baal, then, then let him contend for himself. Let him take care of this. Let him take care of, uh, of Gideon here. And I think there's this interesting idea that these idols actually can't save anyone. <laughs> that there's this understanding in Israel that these things they've been pouring their time, heart, life, money to say, hey, we're going to worship a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They get all torn down. No one cares. Gideon still survives. Asherah, Baal, they don't come and, and take Gideon's life away. There's some, there's some power that they have because people worship them. They're, they're getting distracted. You know, I'm not reducing it. Sometimes as Westerners, we get this idea of like, oh, those silly Easterners, they're so dumb, worshiping blocks of wood. And it, there's things there, y'all. Like, I, I, I can't fully explain, but things happen, right? And there are evils in this world. And the whole Bible uses the word Elohim, God. It uses it in several different ways to say there are lesser gods out there. And so there are spiritual forces happening that we can't fully understand. And so, of course, yeah, it might happen that if you pursue your job, you get everything you ever wanted right? Israel pursued exactly what, what they wanted, said, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to mix these things, and it, it ended in destruction, it ended in chaos. And so there are evils out there, let you, they'll let you worship them. They'll give you everything, fame, fortune, money, sex, all of it, you can have it. These things aren't from your father. They lead to chaos, destruction, and death. And overall, the message of the Bible is when you make yourself the sinner, you adulterate it, you corrupt it, you die. God didn't create that for you. God created you to be redeemed, to be made right in Him, to have a right relationship with Him that only comes through Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm not telling you to go tear down every idol in your life because what will happen is some of you are going to get really motivated because you've heard this sort of message before, and you're going to say, all right, I need to just go go to my house and hold everything to my chest, and if it feels like an idol, I need to throw it away. Poof, this is sin, and that's what you're going to do. And then you get the glory for destroying your idols because you're God. <laughs> it turns all around. And maybe God, now don't hear me wrong, maybe God does lay something on your heart. Say, man, maybe, maybe my family does have a posture of doing all of our time, energy, and money towards this thing, and it doesn't reflect the Lord. I need to guide my kids and my family. Oh, wait, maybe that's fine. Maybe that, that happens for you. But I think the message that God keeps telling them first is remember Look to me. I am the Lord your God. Obey my voice. Prayer, scripture, and church. Look to those postures in your life. Remember who the Lord is and seek Him and let Him tell you 
what needs to pass away. That's why we sing that famous song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You know it? Look full in His wonderful face. And the things... Don't act like you don't know it. Grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Sometimes I say face in my mind. Same difference. Uh, but <laughs> Turn your eyes on Jesus, man. Jesus means for us to experience all life in Him through repenting. And we look to Jesus... I mentioned earlier, at the end of the story, you know, we'll watch it. We do life groups after this, you know, and we're going through this series and watching the J.D. Greer videos and talking about uh, this more, and he'll unpack more of this fleece thing. But despite deciding on all these things, I'll tell you this much. If you've heard the phrase Gideon's fleece and you think, I just need to go test God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to put my cat in my front yard and say, God, if you really want me to stay at my spouse, then you're going to engulf Kitty in flames right now, right? <laughs> that's not the point of the story. And if you read the whole narrative, the Gideon fleece is such a small part of it. In fact, it's, it's more consistent with Gideon's character than it is who God is. God's character is gracefully giving them things that they don't deserve to point to him. And so often the idea like, man, God, if the line is open at Starbucks, then you must want me to pay it forward today. Stop. You're not God. You're not Gideon. You're not in control. That's not the point. Gideon didn't have Jesus to look back to. In fact, Hebrews 1, uh, 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. God has given us so many things to look back to, to know who he is. He has gracefully given you this moment here in church right now. He's given you the people around that just looked at you and said, you need me and I need you in Christ. He's given you so many things. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, which we remember Christ's life, death, resurrection, ascension. We look back and say, Christ took on our sin, our punishment for him. And so we don't need to go out and have these Gideon fleece situations. And maybe God does work in some way in your life. And you can say, man, it's kind of cool how God does this. I'm not belittling those things. I'm saying, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus has some things to say about that when Satan tempted him. Look to God's word. He's given you his word. Prayer, scripture, church. As we move to a time of response here, there's a lot of things. A lot of things to wrestle with and think about. And I, like I said so often, like when we're going through Sermon on the Mount, sometimes it feels like you're just kind of throwing a hand grenade out and we're all just jumping like, okay, man, what hit, you know? Here's, here's the thing. I feel so led to push hard on this mixing idea because I come from a generation and I see the generations before me and the generations after me all arguing about how important we make God or how unimportant we make God. And it lets me know that actually all of us struggle with belittling the Lord and we see that all through scripture and we mix things. And I think during this time of response, I think it's worth having this posture like we teach every week. Open your hands. Stop believing you control your time, your money, your possession. Just let go and say, hold on, God. I want to repent and believe in you. I want to acknowledge what things in my life I'm mixing, what, what idols, whatever you want to put to it. Say, what things are giving me comfort, security, identity, power that are not you because you say you have all authority and I need to quit pretending. So maybe that's your posture. You need to repent and believe. Maybe you don't know Jesus. This is your time. Be so bold. Come forward. Talk with me. We'll pray about it. Sit where you're sitting and say, God, I don't know you and I need to be forgiven. I need to be redeemed in Christ. Cry out to him. 
because he says he's with us always and he's ready to save you. That's what his word says. We're going to be taking time to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church. Um, during the response song, uh, there'll be some, some deacons up here and we can come and gather the elements and we'll move during that. During this time, it's good to think about five things. If you're saying, hey, man, I'm, I'm preparing my heart to worship, there's five things that we want to look through. Uh, they'll be on the screen as we look upward, outward, inward. We talked about them before. We want to remember right now who King Jesus is. He has all authority because he came, he lived, he died. He rose again. He ascended so that we could be made right. And we remember him. He's given us this opportunity, this, this symbol to remember who he is by, by drinking the juice and eating the crack. Remember his sacrifice, his body broken, his, his blood shed for our forgiveness. And so during this time, you can come get the elements. You can come pray. You can open your hands. Say, God, I, I want to grow in prayer and church and scripture. I, I, I don't want to mix things in my life. Whatever God lays in your heart, whatever you need to respond to, this is your time. After this song, we'll move into celebrating the Lord's Supper together. You can come grab the elements during this time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your word and, and you consistently teaching us that, that you love us, that you want a right relationship with us. you pursuing us. There's so many individual and, and corporate things to wrestle with here, God, and we just pray by the power of your spirit that you would move and that we would hear from you. We want to be people who humbly submit and obey you as you've called us to. That's what we see in your word over and over. May we believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life. Guide our hearts as we prepare to celebrate this, this worshipful act you've given us in, in the Lord's Supper to remember your sacrifice. If there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that, that this would be the moment that they trust in you, that your spirit would be moving in that. We see your kingdom come and your will be done, Father. Amen. Come and respond during this time.